are going to start off with our final installment of our, of our sermon series. And um, we are speaking about God's faithfulness. And you can open up your word, if you have your word with you in Deuteronomy uh, 30. And also you can page to 1 Kings 18. But we're going to start off at Deuteronomy 30. We have been looking at the life of Elijah over the past two weeks. And um, tonight we have the final installment. And uh, this sermon series is called God's Faithfulness in Victory. Because God is faithful. And we've been on this journey looking at God's faithfulness. And we all experience difficulties in life. I mean, that is a given. We all experience that. Whether it's due to our circumstances, whether it's due to choices other people have made, whether it's due to choices that we ourselves have made, we all experience challenges in our lives. But we need to have a very deep understanding of God's faithfulness. Because you see, when we understand that God is a faithful God, none of these challenges will really affect us. Because there's security in Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are in this house tonight. Thank you, Lord, for this message that's going out tonight. Lord, that you have prepared it for this congregation. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us in the midst of us in this moment. And thank you, Lord, that you are God. Lord, may you be honored through your word tonight. And we pray in the name of Jesus. So let's just have a quick recap. So we are in the third week of the series. Uh, Rudo preached. Donnie started off the, the series all about God's faithfulness. And we've been looking at the life of prophet Elijah. So Elijah means the Lord is God. That's what his name means. The Lord is God. So Elijah is the prophet at a very specific time when King Ahab is reigning over Israel. Israel is God's people. But Ahab is a very ungodly man. The word describes him as he did evil in the sight of the Lord even more than all of the kings before him. And core to this is because of who he married. He married Jezebel. And Jezebel was a princess and the priestess of Baal, an idol. And as a result, Ahab turned from the Lord and he started to worship Baal and he served Baal. So that gives you an indication of who Ahab was. So let's start off at, in, in the foundation in Deuteronomy 30. We're going to read from verse 15, and I'm reading from the Amplified, and it's also going to be on the screen behind me. Verse 15. Listen closely. That means listen. Listen. Right. Who's speaking here? Moses. Moses is speaking, the greatest prophet of all times. He's speaking to the Israelites. He's speaking to God's people. Who is the modern-day God's people? It's you. It's you. He says, listen closely. I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, two opposites, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments so that you will live and multiply and that the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you are entering to possess. Verse 17, 
But if your heart turns away and you will not hear and obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will certainly perish. You will not live long in the land which you cross the Jordan to enter and possess. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Life and death, the blessing and the curse. Two opposites. Therefore, you shall choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. There's no choice. Moses tells the Israelites, you shall choose life. Verse 20. You shall choose life by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, and by holding closely to Him, for He is your life, your good life, your abundant life, your fulfillment, and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord promised to give your fathers, to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is the foundation. Moses tells the Israelites, and they knew that they needed to honor God, they, ne they need not to go and worship idols because then they would be abiding in death. And the charge is that they were commanded to abide in life. So you can page to 1 Kings 18. So now we're going to look at the life of Ahab because Ahab just decided, no, I am not going to do this. I'm going to marry Jezebel. She's the prophetess of Baal, and I'm going to worship Baal. So let's read this account. So we're going to spend a lot of time in the Word tonight, and let's read this account. Verse 1, in 1 Kings 18, verse 1. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. So let's pause there. The famine was severe in Samaria. There was drought. Everything died. Without water, life cannot be sustained. So what is happening here? What is happening here? God is challenging the very core of Baal. Because what was Baal? Baal was what? Baal was the god of weather. He was supposed to be the rainmaker, so they worshipped Baal. But they're in the midst of a drought. But more than that, there is this indictment. It's as if Elijah is saying, look, you're either going to serve God, and I as Elijah am his spokesperson, or you're going to serve Baal. And there is this absolute correlence. And you can see it, because the fact that it is dry and there's a drought is an absolute example of what? Of Israel's relationship with God. It is dead. It is absolutely dead. Let's page to verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Are you the one who is bringing disaster on Israel? Can you see this guy's arrogance? <laughs> Are you the one? 
Elijah said, I have not brought disaster on Israel, but you and your father's household have by abandoning the commandments of the Lord and by following the Baals. Verse 19, now send your word and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the goddess Asira, who eat at Queen Jezebel's table. God's word brings life, and you need to see that Ahab rejected that. Ahab rejected that which was said and spoken by Moses in Deuteronomy 30. And because of that, there is this drought. This is a symptom of this rejection. It's a symptom of God's rebuke that's following. Verse 20. So Ahab sent word to all the Israelites and assembled the pagan prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? How long will you hesitate between life and death? How long will you hesitate between blessing and curse? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people of Israel did not answer him so much as a word. You see, the issue here is that the people of Israel didn't just want to worship God. They wanted to worship God and Baal at the same time. And God said, no, no, you're either going to choose me as your provider or you're going to choose Baal. And this is where this whole contest is now going to unfold. Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I alone remain a prophet of the Lord, while Baal's prophets are 450 men. Elijah's won. Baal is coming with 450 prophets. It's one versus 450. You need to understand that Elijah's life is on the line in this moment. Because if God is not going to come through... Elijah is just trusting God. He's going to send them into a contest. But if God is not going to come through, his life is on the line. He will be ridiculed. He will be killed. He's one up against 450. Verse 23. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. Verse 24. Then you call on the name of your God, that's Baal, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. In verse 20, they didn't even say anything. In verse 22, they say, okay, we're up for the contest. Can you see this impasse that's happening? They want to worship not the Lord. So when Elijah says to, to, to them, listen here, you need to abide to God, they don't answer. When the contest is, well, if it's going to be God and Baal, so you can see that they're split in two minds. They say, okay, we're up for the challenge. Let's see who wins this. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, since there are many of you, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Verse 26, 
So they took the bull that was given to them and prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear and answer. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they had made. Verse 27. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, <laughs> Cry out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Or either he is occupied, or he's out at the moment, or he's on a journey somewhere. Perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. So come on, up your game here, because this guy is not coming to the party. I mean, they've been going from the morning to the noon. Oh, Baal, come on. They've been going. These guys have been going, and there's no answer. So they cried out with a loud voice to get Baal's attention. They even cut themselves with swords and lances in accordance with their custom until the blood flowed out of them. 29, as midday passed, they played the part of the prophets and raved dramatically until the time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice and no one answered and no one paid attention. Can you see the death? Can you see the death? Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So Elijah's taking charge, he's calling them. The whole nation of Israel, come near. So all the people approached him, and he repaired and rebuilt the old altar of the Lord that had been torn down by Jezebel. Here's the first act of faith. What is Elijah doing? He's restoring the relationship. He's starting to restore. He's rebuilding. He's rebuilding the covenant relationship. He's standing in. One man is standing in for the whole nation and is starting to repair the altar. Then Elijah took 12 stones in accordance with the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Verse 32. So with the stones, Elijah built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he laid out the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. Verse 34. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar, and the altar filled the trench with water. Elijah is one man. Baal is 450. Can you see that Elijah is making an impossible situation? How is it possible that wood that has been soaked in water will burn? His life is on the line. His life is on the line. And he is creating an impossible situation at this altar. But you see, the issue here is not the size of the problem. It's not the size of the issue. It is all about the volume of faith which he is illustrating. Regardless of the outcome, his life is on the line. Regardless of the outcome, he is illustrating this magnificent faith. Verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, approached the altar and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, 
and that I have done all these things at your word. He's confident. He's confident. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings, and the wood, and even the stones and the dust. It also licked up the water in the trench. It burned everything. Verse 39, when all the people saw it, they fell face downward and they said, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. And they returned back to the Lord. Look at the progression. First, they didn't answer at all when they were challenged by Elijah. Then they said, bring the test. And lastly, they turned back. And what happens? The Lord brings victory for Elijah in that moment because the Lord comes through at his very simplistic prayer. But more than that, if you read the account further, the rain started to fall. The moment that there was restoration, the rain started to fall. And there was relief for Israel and its people. So what do we learn from this account? What do we learn from this account? It's easy. At Elijah's simple prayer, God comes through in an intolerable situation, and he provides the victory. What does it take? What does it take? A simple prayer to restore this covenant relationship. Two, God's word in Elijah's mouth. God's word, he spoke it, brings life where everyone expected death. They could see that altar was drenched in water. They could see that no fire was going to burn in that thing. But by Elijah's word, there was life. Three, unlike Baal, God is clearly present and evident. God was there. God was there. Four, Israel's drought proves that rejecting God's word brings death. God is going to challenge the exact core of the idol you will be worshipping in your life. What does that mean? God challenged the core of Baal. He was the God of the weather. And God just proved that he was no God at all. He was nothing. Number five, Elijah's miracles prove that God's words bring life to death. If you wanted the proof, there it is. And lastly, if you can see it, this is an absolute exact illustration of Jesus who brings life to death. Like Elijah, Jesus was also rejected by the Israelites. <clears throat> Jesus also rose from death to life. And in Jesus, we find life and victory. But you, you know, if you know me, you'll know that I'm a guy of practical faith. You're going to say to me, Elkhart, what a great account. This is beautiful. But what does this mean to me? So let's get to it. <laughs> let's get to it. Let's get to it. <laughs> right. So if you're ready, we're going to jump <laughs> straight into it. So I am confident tonight 
that you do not have a little bale in your house which you are worshipping for rain. No. Where's a bale in their house? Do you even know how it looks? A little gold statue? You have it? No? You don't? I don't. But you see, as time involved, idols do not look the same as they looked then. Because times have evolved. So what are you to look out for? You are to look out for what I call modern day idols. So what is a modern day idol? So it's there on the screen for you. It's any aspect of your life where you rebel against God by turning to the creation rather than to the creator to satisfy your need for security, significance, or self-worth. Ah. Why is that important? Because your security, significance, and self-worth is derived from what? It's derived from God. But we find idols to replace it. So let's get practical. So let me give you a few examples. And let's identify these things in our life. The first one, pleasure and comfort. Pleasure, why? Pleasure is all about me being satisfied. God says no. God says no to pleasure. God says others first, not you first. Comfort means I fill my day to fulfill my own needs. It's all about me. God says, no, it's not about you. It's about me first. Second one there. An over-pursuit of business or career and finding your security and wealth. You're pursuing this business. It's all about money because money gives me status. God says to you, you choose today whether you're going to serve me or you're going to serve Mammon. What's Mammon? Mammon is the idol, the god of money. Who are you going to serve? What is it all about? Can you today understand that I, the God, am your provider? Hmm. Three, making your social standing or your position your God. It's all about how people see me. Let me tell you, friends, that you are very insignificant in this world. Your significance needs to be derived from God. You are a son and a daughter in the house of the king. And if that is not enough for you, you have a problem. You're having an idol. Number four, what do you treasure more than, <laughs> more than God? Your relationship. Oh, yes. I get my security from my boyfriend or my husband telling me, that I'm beautiful, that I am this, I am that. No. Your significance comes from God first. He says to you that you are wonderfully and fearfully made. That is the standard. Not someone else needing to tell you that. We need to lay down these idols. Number five, all forms of addiction. Narcotics. Alcohol. Social media. Deriving your worth from the amount of likes you get on Facebook. Huge issue with teenagers. 
suicide is going through the roof because people are not liking their posts on Facebook. Can you imagine? Pornography. What's pornography? Nothing else than worshipping the creation rather than the creator. Sexual lust and immoralities. All other escaping mechanisms that you can have in your life. All idols. Why? Because I don't want to confront the issue and claim victory in Christ, which has been guaranteed for you. I rather abide in the addiction. Repetitive sin. Anger. The Lord says you won't go to bed angry. Bitterness. There won't be a root of bitterness found in you. Harboring unforgiveness. The Lord says forgive. Disobedience. Greed. Taking offense. Pride. Rebel. Unbelief. All symptoms of idols. Seven. Harboring emotional hurt and pain. This hurt and pain, you've done this to me. It's consuming you. Rather than forgiving and setting that person free. You see, friends, all of this results in shame and fear and death. It's on the death spectrum, not on the life spectrum. Come on, the band can can come up, thanks. And in this moment, the Lord is asking you, He's petitioning you tonight to choose life. Like Elijah said to the Israelites, to God's people, to us in this audience tonight, I have set before you a choice. Which one are you going to choose? Come on, if you have identified any idol in your life and you are willing to lay it down tonight, I would like to invite you to stand. Come on, take a stand for God. And I will be the first one who's standing on this podium to stand. Come on, let's respond to God. And if it means that this whole congregation has to stand tonight, we will stand tonight. But tonight, we will choose the Lord. For God is faithful. Can you lay yourself down in this moment and accept that the Lord is God in every aspect of your life? Can you submit your life to God under His authority, under His rule, under His authorship? Can you choose Him in every aspect of your life? Can you in this moment resubmit all aspects of your life to God? And can you choose for yourself today whom you will serve. And my prayer tonight is that it may be that for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Can you trust Him in faith to bring victory in areas of your life which are dead? Can you trust Him to be the true rainmaker in your life, in every aspect of your life? To replace that which you have idolized with true life, with true victory, with true breakthrough. Can you trust the Lord in this moment? So it starts with a simple prayer, and that's what Elijah did. He had a simple prayer, and it's a prayer of repentance. But let me be clear as to what repentance is. Repentance isn't just saying sorry. Repentance is more than that. Repentance is to commit, to make a commitment to change your inner self, to change your old way of thinking, 
to regret your past sins, to live your life in a way that proves repentance, to see God's purpose for your life, to live in victory, for the kingdom of the Lord is near. Can we take a, a moment to repent? Can you lay down this idol? All the idols which you have in your life, these modern day idols, these things that we worship except of God, can you lay it down in this moment? And can we lift God up in that place so that it can reign in your life, so that His amazing promises can be abundant, His blessings can be abundant in your life? He wants you to choose Him. Moses commanded the Israelites to choose Him. So let's choose Him. Let's take a minute.